Hello and welcome everybody to the CSF Rheumatology Author Interview Podcast. My name is Professor Peter Nash from the Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane. And today I'm joined by Dr. Pedro Lopez Romero, one of the senior research scientists from Eli Lilly, and Professor Eugen Feist from the Department of Rheumatology and Clinical Immunology at the Charité Universität Medizin Berlin in Germany. Thank you both very much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. Today we're going to be discussing a very interesting article recently published in Arthritis Research and Therapy. And this assesses the association of an autoantibody response to carbamylated vimentin and to vimentin modified by citrullination and the response to treatment and structural damage progression in the phase three study RA begin. So before we begin, I wonder if each of you would just introduce yourselves and, and where you work and how you came to be doing what you're doing and what your areas of research interest are. Uh, Dr. Ramiro first, perhaps. Well, good morning. Uh, good to be with you, um, Peter. So basically, I'm, I've been working in Eli Lilly now for, uh, for eight years, uh, since the very beginning in osteoporosis and mainly in rheumatoid arthritis. So my research interest basically besides uh, designing and analysis, and, and analysis of clinical trials are this kind of uh, post hoc analysis we do and just try to, to look into the data in a more deeper way than we do when we have the, the, the results from the clinical trials and try to see additional signals as we did here, for example, with this which is what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, and uh, Professor Feist, please. Yeah, thank you, first of all, very much for selecting our work for this uh, podcast. I think it's really a pleasure and honor to be selected and to be able to um, introduce to you our results in more detail and to have a nice discussion. Um, yes, I am a rheumatologist for adult patients in Germany. Uh, I have worked uh, for more than 20 years at the Charité University Hospital. And only recently, one year ago, I moved to another uh, big department of rheumatology close to the city of Magdeburg. And uh, what you can see in the background of my uh, video is the nice, beautiful, historic place where I'm working now. It's named the place where the birds are singing, the hospital where the birds are singing. It looks lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Look, we've been dreaming of biomarkers to help us decide uh, which therapy for our rheumatoid patients for a long time. And one of my pet uh, topics is that rheumatoid should be renamed ACPA positive arthritis or ACPA negative arthritis. And I'm very interested in your work with citronation. But let's start with just the objective of this study. And we need some explanation for the audience about the antibodies that you're measuring and the story of ACPA and Vimentin and fibrinogen, et cetera, et cetera. So, Professor Feist, if you could just give us some background on what you are trying, the objective of the study and maybe just a clue about RA Begin, what RA Begin was, just to refresh the memories of the audience. Yeah, with pleasure. So I think most of our audience is aware of the fact that rheumatoid arthritis is a systemic autoimmune disease, 
what we do observe in our patients is an antigen-specific reactivity, um, also involving the B-cell department with formation of autoantibodies. This has been recognized for approximately 100 years now that patients are um, formating the so-named rheumatoid factor. Later on, also antibodies against modified antigens has been discovered. They are named um, ACPAS or antibodies against citronellated antigens. Uh, and only recently, another very important modification of antigens has been discovered, which leads to the uh, modification of the amino acid lysine to homocitrulline and is named carbamylation. Um, by these modifications, um, the antigens change their properties and are recognized by the immune system in genetically prone individuals. They develop antibodies, and we believe that these seropositive patients are indeed different from the so-named seronegative ones, as you mentioned before. Uh, this has been shown by many studies in different cohorts. It has been also shown, um, by the way, for those who are positive for antibodies against carbamylated antigens, because we have results now um, providing evidence that these antibodies um, are um, independent marker for radiographic progression of rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, there is also one recent publication from a Spanish research group showing that these antibodies are also linked to pulmonal involvement in rheumatoid arthritis. So it's a very interesting kind of antibody, which is not used in routine so far, which is not a routine diagnostic marker, but maybe in the future can provide us with more information, helping stratifying our patients. Sorry, I can't hear you. Sinesh, you're on mute, I think. Sorry, I, I meant thought I unmuted myself. No Does it matter if it's an IgG or an IgM or an IgA antibody? And that's, of course, a very interesting question. For the rheumatoid factor, we know that um, there's a diversity of antibody subclasses for routine purposes, because this is very easy to do. We measure the rheumatoid factor IgM, but we are aware that there are also other subclasses, especially the IgA rheumatoid factor, which is of importance, because also uh, these patients are very special. The rheumatoid factor IgA is a very early antibody uh, in rheumatoid arthritis, and is also associated with uh, more rapid and aggressive disease. For the ECPAS, we uh, usually measure the IgG isotype in routine practice, but there are also data showing that other um, isotypes are there and could be of relevance. And for uh, the carbamylated um, antigens, we are just starting to uh, exploring the field and to understand whether these different subclasses do play a specific role and, and of course, uh, we know that uh, the antibody specificity uh, does develop from the IgM to the IgG isotypes and that the IgA antibodies have a special role uh, in the uh, immune defense, especially in the mucosa. So 
um, since the mucosa uh, surface is also the area where we have this interference with different external antigens. Some researchers believe that the IgA isotype of this uh, type of antibodies, of outer antibodies, is of very special interest. And um, some studies show also, for instance, for rituximab, that there is a um, predictive value for these IgA isotype uh, in contrast even to the IgG isotype, which does represent, let's say, the memory of the immune response. It is quite stable, uh, less um, flexible, very difficult to target by a therapy. Uh, and there is maybe a difference to the IgA and also IgM isotype here. And is smoking the uh, of relevance in carbamylation? And are the PAD enzymes important in carbamylation? Yes, indeed. So the, the, the lungs um, have been um, discovered as a very interesting area in the body where maybe the very first immunologic changes in rheumatoid arthritis are happening. And um, here also external environmental factors seems to play a very important role, especially smoking is relevant in genetically prone individuals, or where we do see that smokers do develop uh, these kind of antibody responses. And we do also observe that smokers have a more severe disease. And carbamylation is indeed very, very similar to citronylation. So in the end, the amino acid homocitrulline is very similar to citrulline. And therefore, it, it took some years to differentiate and to discover that in addition to citronylation, there's also another process, homocitronylation, which is also present in the patients. And homocitronylation is driven by a chemical process where cyanate does play a role. And cyanate, as you know, is an in-degree of tobacco smoke. And so as some researchers believe that smoking uh, exposure to cyanate induces carbamylation. And this may be one of the reasons, let's say, uh, leading to the development of these antibodies. And the place where this happens is maybe the lung. Thank you. Dr. Pedro Lopez Romero, could you tell us a little about the RA Begin study, please? Well, uh, the RA Begin study was a study that we conducted to um, uh, kind of uh, study the, the, the efficacy of baricitinib in combination with metotrexate and baricitinib alone, as compared to metotrexate alone only in a population with a no or limited exposure to, to, a, to metotrexate. So it could be considered as an early array, even though that was not exactly the definition. It was more like that. In the definition is just like a, uh, in, in connection to the exposure to, to previous conventional demands, which was very limited. And that was the, uh, the idea just to fill up the gap in this, in this specific population. The results that we saw, just to refresh the memory of the audience, is that Paracetinib uh, both arms in combination with metotrexate and alone as well it was greatly superior to metotrexate in many different uh, areas of uh, both uh, clinical response, PROs, 
and, and structural uh, progression. And now what we did here is just in connections to the, 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 what uh, Dr. Oyun was mentioning, just to see if we can uh, identify or just we can use uh, additional information regarding with these antibodies in order to kind of uh, identify or establish a likelihood in terms of the prognostic factors of these antibodies to identify what's gonna be the most likely response to treatment or with respect to structural progression depending on the concentrations of these different isotypes of antibodies, both anti-CARB and anti-NCB. Thank you. So could you tell us the methods you used to identify these antibodies and um, what comparisons you made with activity and, and uh, damage? Sure. So uh, we studied associations between these uh, different, uh, actually what six uh, different antibodies, uh, IgA, IgM and IgG for anti-CARB and anti-MCB. Uh, with respect to both uh, response to treatment using mixed models in this longitudinal analysis, considering both SDI and DAS28 CRP responses from week four to week 52. This is one of the buckets of analysis we did. And also uh, we used uh, logistic regressions for the analysis of structural progression at week 52. And we measured this structural progression as the change from, it's a binary response, basically. There's the change from baseline in the MTS score uh, being just greater than the small detectable change, which in our RA beginning study, this small detectable change was 1.4. So this is the main um, analysis we did. It's important, and I would like just to highlight that we used multivariable models. So basically, what we are estimating here is the relative contribution of every one of each of the factors in the models independently of the contributions of the other factors. And this is important to understand is, for example, uh, we're estimating uh, the particular contribution of the baseline anti-CAR-V uh, IgA, your structural progression, in addition to the contributions of the other factors, for example, the baseline CRP, baseline CDI, and the rest of the factors in, that we use in the, logistic, in the logistic model. So this is basically, uh, in a nutshell, the summary of the, of, of the statistical methods that we used to, to establish, to determine these associations. Was there any correlation between baseline CARB-V and MCV with CCP positivity? Was that closely linked at all? And did you do shared apitope at baseline? Yeah, and was there a relevance of any genetic markers? We look into that, and both with uh, both uh, our robotic factor and, and APA, both are included in the model because, regardless of uh, of the interest that we might have in studying the particular association with those two variables, we need to adjust for them because these interconnections in the framework of this probably immune response and the concentrations of different antibodies, we didn't find any association with them, but. Uh, the problem might be as well, like the, as the population was selected for this study, everybody was coming into the trial with very high values of these antibodies. So we don't have like the whole spectrum. Like we don't have many patients that they are negative or they have very low values for these antibodies, which makes a little bit difficult to see any potential association because we are looking basically in those patients who all of them, they have very high values. And that could have been the reason why the associations didn't show up, but it was probably a limitation. But we look into that 
and we didn't see anything. Because I think that'll be the question. Does CARB-V antibodies give you any more prognostic information than CCP antibodies? Yeah, that could be uh, an interesting question. As I said, it was, uh, we were limited as well because of the, of the, of the situation with the con baseline concentrations of these antibodies for the population. Everybody coming with these high values for both of them is, is difficult to, to kind of separate. Like, uh, yes, because we'd love, you'd love to study the CCP negative carb positive patients. So, Professor Feist, can you tell us about the results, please? Yes, as uh, Pedro already mentioned, um, the results of the study uh, uh, have been obtained by a very um, uh, interesting, sophisticated statistical approach. But what I want to point out is that. Uh, the situation where we performed a study was quite unique because we received the baseline serum samples from Lilly to do the antibody analysis in a very well characterized cohort of patients. And this is something very special and this happens not so often, unfortunately, in, in, in research because here really academy and um, uh, industry have worked very closely together and this only this scenario I think allowed uh, to obtain this uh, interesting result. Um, what we did observe first of all with all the limitations that Pedro mentioned already was that high antibody titers especially against uh, carbamylated vimentine of the IgA and IgM isotype uh, were associated uh, with a better clinical response measured by the CDI, but also by the SDI and the DAS28 by different scores. Um, it was clear that patients with very high antibody titers uh, respond better. So we could describe this association between high titers of antibodies and treatment response. Another very interesting observation was obtained for the IgM isotype of anticarbamylated vimentine antibodies because in this setting, uh, by treatment, a by treatment difference was observed. Patients under methotrexate showed um, not such a good uh, response um, if they were high positive for IgM anticarbamylate vimentin antibodies compared to patients under baricitinib in monotherapy or under treatment with baricitinib and methotrexate. So there was a bi-treatment difference. And I think this is something of interest which uh, must of course uh, be confirmed by other studies in different cohorts um, to be relevant also for maybe for daily practice to stratify patients and to adjust treatment uh, to those who are high antibody, who have high antibody titers of the IgM type against carbamylated vimentin. Uh, finally, I think Pedro mentioned it already. Uh, there was also uh, uh, an association visible to structural progression in those patients with high antibody titers, we observed a more uh, rapid progression, 
But as Pedro already mentioned, this was only one risk factors out of many contributing to the risk of radiographic progression. And we know already, and this is also part of the uh, Euler uh, recommendations, that there are unfavorable factors, a number of them, including inflammatory response as, as such, including seropositivity, including smoking, uh, uh, including BMI, uh, so body weight index, and others who can really influence uh, the radiographic progression. And in this setting, the antibodies are only part of the story, only one risk factor out of many. Okay, and do you think you'll move on to look at long-standing disease and see if there's very different findings rather than just early disease? It would be, of course, very interesting now to uh, check also for other phases of disease for established rheumatoid arthritis for patients who have been maybe even exposed to biologics before. But in my opinion, uh, the most homogeneous and clear population is the naive population of early array with very limited exposure to DMARDs so far. And in this uh, scenario, the results from the, the samples from the BEGIN study were, I think, uh, the best one that we could obtain. We have discussed also to do follow-up analysis um, by using also follow-up uh, samples from the BEGIN study. But uh, so far, um, the discussion is ongoing. Um, maybe this would be also of interest to, to see whether the antibody titers in the follow-up do also have a predictive role for response and how they behave under treatment. So and a lot of things to do in the future. <laughs> I'm interested in the seronegative patients. Do the seronegative patients carry high titers of carbamylated antibodies? It has been described by others that uh, only less than 10% of uh, the ACPA-positive patients, um, or in our words, that only 10% of the um, patients with positive antibodies against carbamylated antigens are ACPA-negative, only 10%. So um, this is a small cohort, single positive for these kind of antibodies. Um, this does close the gap, uh, of course. Um, and we, if we do a um, multiplex analysis with all the available antigens that we know nowadays in array, uh, we will end up still with a small cohort of really seronegative patients, maybe 20%. So the carbamylated uh, antigens are part of the um, immunome uh, in rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, the disadvantage of these antibodies is that they cannot be used as a diagnostic marker because they have a quite low specificity for rheumatoid arthritis. They uh, are also detectable in other autoimmune diseases, for instance, in lupus. Uh, but the advantage, on the other hand, is that they can provide um, additional information. And this has been also shown in other cohorts 
for instance, uh, for the risk of developing radiographic progression or for the risk of developing lung involvement. And I think this is uh, maybe really their value in, in the future uh, diagnostic scenarios to describe the risk profile of the patients better and to adjust treatment according to the risk profile uh, in the future. So I think this is their, maybe their value uh, in our okay. procedures. That's very helpful because we live in the land of seronegative arthritis. We've got a huge amount of viral arthritis, Ross River fever, Barmer Forest, Sinbis, Gitter, Chikungunya. And these patients, apart from fever, which is not always prominent, and rash, which only a half of them have, have a nasty seronegative polyarthritis. And we'd love to have some more assistance and more specificity in the seronegative group if you could do some studies outside of RA and see if you can further define that seronegative group, who is going to be RA and who isn't. Um, these antibodies, I assume, can be present for a decade before the patient develops clinical RA, just like CCP? Yes, you are fully right. Um, uh, these antibodies have been observed before onset of disease in different cohorts. So the story is very similar to the ACPA. Um, they are a very early marker, maybe the earliest of all in rheumatoid arthritis. Some say that um, the development of a specific autoimmune response starts with antibodies against carbamylated antigens. And indeed, it would be very interesting, of course, also to uh, investigate this topic, as you mentioned, in Australian people uh, and zero-negative uh, patients with rheumatoid arthritis. The good thing is that um, some of these kits are already available, um, and I think you can easily use them for uh, research purposes. It'll be quite interesting to see what the Prevotella carriage is in the IgA carbimylated positive patients, whether that's the driving trigger. Yeah, yeah. So for the audience, take home messages from the study, please. Pedro, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the summary, uh, the, the results that we saw, I think they are quite interesting. So basically summarizing the, our findings uh, is Patients with higher baseline concentrations of uh, both baseline anti-CARV IgA and anti-CARV IgG are more likely to show bigger improvements in response to treatment, regardless of the treatment received and randomization. Uh, it's also interesting just to, to, to see that for this specific anti-CARV IgM, the interaction that we saw, by which we can say that patients who receive methotrexate at baseline who have higher baseline bodies of this specific antibody are going to have or going to show smaller improvements in response to treatment than, than, than patients who receive methotrexate, who have low baseline values, or patients that receive baricitinib in any combination with methotrexate or alone. And also, very interesting as well, at least for me, when I was looking and exploring to these results, the kind of a disconnection that we saw uh, between the uh, structural progression and uh, a response to treatment for this anti-CARB uh, IgA. Uh, this could be very interesting to look and to keep looking into this because we know that there is a, a, a high association between disease activity and inflammation and structural progression. And these are important factors 
that determine sexual damage along with any other background factor for that. We know that. We also know that there are some patients that even though they have good clinical response, they also have some structural damage. So what we saw here is that patients with high values of Anticar VIGA, they have or they're more likely to have good clinical response, but at the same time, they're more likely to have worse clinical outcomes with respect to structural progression. So this is true, and it will have to be confirmed in other studies. This particular antibody could be very helpful because it could be helpful in order to identify patients that even though they have good clinical response, they might be more likely at the same time to have bad prognosis for the uh, structural progression depending on the concentration of this uh, anti-carvi IgA. So both patients with uh, high values of this antibody, good clinical response, but also they might have worse prognosis for clinical uh, outcomes in structural progression. And I think this is a very interesting finding. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Professor Fast. Yeah, maybe I can add. Um, that what I have learned is that rheumatoid arthritis is indeed a diverse disease and it makes sense in my mind to test for the full spectrum of antigens and also to look into the different antibody subclasses because we can learn from these biomarkers uh, about the severity and the outcome of our patients. And what I have also learned from the studies is that uh, it is good to have a well-characterized homogeneous cohort and a great statistician on board to do the analysis. So thanks to Pedro. <laughs> okay, well, I think they'll challenge you and say, prove to us that this is better than just a CRP and a high ESR. So you've got a fair bit of work to go ahead of you, I think. So thank you again, both for your time. This has been the CSF author interview podcast. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month, detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from and let us know what you think. We would appreciate some feedback. Thank you, gentlemen, very much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you, Thank you Peter. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks. having us. Thanks a lot. Thank you.